Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for being here on this Wednesday hump day. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also via email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Please send me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. We're going to get to your emails later in the show as usual. All right. Uh, coming up on Friday, we've got a really big and important show. We're going to speak with Florida's Surgeon General, who's a very smart and very brave man, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, about the nation's COVID response, about all of the lies our public health officials have told us from the very beginning, like Fauci and Walensky. We're going to talk about big pharma, big tech, the virus, the shots. Uh, All of this is tantamount to one of the greatest crimes against humanity. So he will be here because he's also seeing a lot of warning signs with these shots, a lot of new data coming in every day. And these petty little tyrants that quote unquote govern us that forced everybody to take these shots. Well, now there's big, big problems. And Dr. Ladapo in Florida is taking action. So we've got a lot to cover with him, especially since Florida led the nation in freedom during the pandemic. Lessons learned. Well, yeah, by red states, but by the federal government, absolutely not, because it was only and always about power and control. Dr. Ladapa with a really, really big and important conversation that is coming up here on Friday. All right, today I want to deal with polling, and I've got a couple of thoughts on this that you're not going to want to miss. I mean, we are less than three weeks away from this midterm election. So I've got some new numbers here that I want to break apart and a commentary on polling. Also today, we're going to speak with David Sokol, who is one of the few openly non-woke true patriots of Wall Street. You know, so much of Wall Street now is run by the left. And in fact, Steve Moore had a great um, and very terrifying article up at Committee to Unleash Prosperity 
they posted it yesterday, and it was breaking down the political affiliation of the members of the Federal Reserve, the Board of Governors, and the regionals, and so on. And it's like 98% Democrat now. The Fed, which is supposed to be non-political, is also now completely corrupted with leftist garbage, which is why the Fed, the central bank, supposed to be focused on your money, the nation's money, and the economy. This is why they veered off into climate change and all this other crap. David Sokol is one of the few non-woke guys on Wall Street, and he's a true business legend. He's going to be here to talk about where we are in this Biden economy. And also, he's got a new book out talking about how we can fix this great country of ours. So that's an important conversation coming up today. But first, the Monica Memo. These midterms are the most important midterms of our lifetimes. I know that we say that every year, but this year, it's actually true. This election is the biggest, most critical one we have ever experienced at least in modern American history anyway. It's not an overstatement to say that. Everything is riding on this outcome. America is now hanging by a thread. And this midterm election, I know there's no president running at the top, but this midterm election really has the future of this country hanging in the balance. I know it's a lot to hook on a midterm, but this is where we are. We're at this fork in the road with the country, and the midterm elections are really an inflection point. Do we begin to save America, or is it going to continue to slip under the waves? While we are truly suffering under the weight of crushing inflation, Joe Biden is out there saying that his top domestic priority is abortion. Yes, he actually said that, that the killing of the babies is now number one for your president. He has said that the very first thing he will do if Democrats maintain control of Congress is send them an abortion bill, abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. And if they had their way, they would go beyond that till after birth, right? But Biden has said, oh, I will do that on day one with a Democratic Congress, January 3rd. Well, they have unified control now. What's stopping them now from doing it? Oh, they want to run on it. They want to raise money on the abortion issue and they want to run on it. They're all so full of crap all the time. But he has now made clear that the killing of the babies is his number one domestic priority. But when asked by Peter Ducey of Fox News about it, KJP, you know, Corinne Diversity Hire, refused to admit this. Listen to this exchange. What is President Biden's top domestic priority now? Is it inflation or is it abortion? The president's going to continue to talk about issues that matter to the American people. And abortion is one of them. Majority of the American people uh, disagree with the decision that uh, that the Supreme Court made, the Dobbs decision. That is a majority of the people uh, disagreed with that. When it comes to the economy, the president has made it very, very clear. When it comes to inflation, it is the, his number one economic priority. And he is doing everything that he can to make sure that we lower prices and for the American people. It's his number one economic priority. We've heard the president say inflation is his top domestic priority. But now he's saying come next year, his first bill would be abortion related. So is his number one domestic priority abortion or is it inflation? Well, let's not forget what the president has done the last 19 months. He has made the economy his top priority. He has passed the American Rescue Plan, by by the way, as you heard me say all the time, no Republicans voted for that in Congress. And it was a plan that helped us get back on our feet with the economy. So while you have to choose between lunch and bankruptcy, Joe Biden is obsessed with killing babies. Sounds legit. And then they wonder why they are losing these midterms. Guys, the American people, you and me, we are struggling to put food on the table, gas in our cars to bring our kids to soccer practice and the rest. But Democrats, by all means, continue to focus on January 6th, which no one cares about, and abortion, the killing of the babies. 
by all means, focus on those issues that don't even rate in the top five or even the top 10 uh, biggest issues for the American people right now. This is how disconnected they are, but honestly, they don't care that they're disconnected. They're not stupid, they're communists and evil, but they're not dumb. They know that the American people don't give a flying wit about January 6th, and they know that abortion is way down the list of priorities for them. They know that, they just don't care. And this is why these polling numbers now are starting to look very, very interesting. I know on Monday's show we were talking about polling, and I want to make it very clear. I only trust polling. There are certain pollsters I trust more than others, but generally, as a general rule, I only trust polling that shows positive movement toward the Republicans or conservative issues. And it's not just because I vote Republican and am a conservative and a populist. No, here is the reason. The vast majority of pollsters lean left, and their results are heavily skewed to the left in favor of Democrats. So generally, you must disregard the polls that you see or take them with a huge grain of salt. If, however, these same polls show movement in the Republican direction, in the conservative or populist direction, it's worth taking a look. Because if they're showing positive for us, then you know that the reality is even better for us. That's the case we have right now with a few major left-wing polls. And and by the way, I'm going to bring you a couple of just dynamite findings here. This must have killed them to have to report these results. I mean, really kill them to have to put this out there. I'm surprised that they don't bury these polls. Maybe they do have polls that they're burying, and we just don't know. Maybe there are polls that look even better for Republicans and worse for Democrats, and we'll never know because they're burying them. Remember after the Supreme Court decision back in June, late June, overturning Roe versus Wade, the Dobbs decision, remember when that came out? The left was going crazy that they finally had a good issue, right? The left was like, oh, this is, this is fantastic. They have handed us real ammunition to go after Republicans. And the left warned that this election would be Rovember. Remember that? And they said that angry women would come out in droves for Democrats as a result of this decision. Is it happening? Not so much. Yesterday, we got a poll from the New York Times. The New York Times and Siena College, and it found that independent female voters swung dramatically to the right in the past month. It shows that the economy trumps abortion in a really huge way when it comes to voters' priorities. The poll has Biden at 39% job approval with 58% disapproval. So again, you know it's worse for Biden than what they're reporting here. 45% of those strongly disapprove of Joe Biden. So the sentiment isn't just, oh, ho-hum, he's kind of a loser. No, the sentiment is, holy cow, this is an absolute catastrophe and he really sucks. The poll also showed right track, wrong track. Let's see, right track, 24%. Who are these 24%? It's the regime. The regime makes up this 24% that think things are going in the right direction. 64% of the American people say, hey, country's on the wrong track. And that November that the left promised is not materializing. Get this, just 5% say abortion is the most important issue. 5%, that's nothing. Women are split between Democrats and Republicans, 47 to 47%. That number is catastrophic for the Democrats. Catastrophic. Women are running even, Republicans and Democrats, holy smokes. And independent women back the Republicans by 18%. 18 points. 
Holy cannoli, guys. This is bad for the Democrats. And you know what? It's all about the economy. As Carville once said, it's the economy, stupid. It's not the killing of the babies. It's the economy. Abortion is found to be a very low priority among women, while the economy ranked much higher among all Democratic groups. This is according to the poll. So you know, this is a New York Times-Siena College poll, that the pollsters were trying to pull this out of the women that they were calling for this poll. You care about abortion, right? 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 You're furious with the court and the Republicans for wanting to take away your reproductive rights, right? 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 And the women that they were polling were like, "Mm, no, not so much. No, actually, inflation, eating up my paycheck, I can't even afford stuff now, including gas in my car, like basic life necessities. That's what I care about. Man, these findings must have just blown these pollsters away. And the broader left, they must be freaking out. (laughs) And we know they're freaking out for a lot of reasons. Listen to this again, according to the poll. Abortion only scores 9% among women total. Okay. Only 10% among 18 to 29-year-olds. Now, you would expect um, that those women who were in the prime fertile years, 18 to 29-year-olds, that that number would be off the charts, right? Like that would be their critical concern, their access to an abortion. And yet, no, only 10% of them. Only 4% among 30 to 44-year-olds. 4%. What about other demographic uh, groups for the Democrats? Well, college degree. If if you've got a college degree, the economy and inflation, 37%. Number one issue. Abortion, 5%. Again, you would think that the more highly educated, abortion would be off the charts important. And it's not. Economy and the inflation crushing every other issue. Black voters, 39%. Concerned, number one, about the economy and inflation, only 6% about abortion. Hispanic voters, 49%. Wow. 49% rank the economy and inflation the number one issue, only 7% abortion. And get this, urban voters, 34%, number one, the economy and inflation, only 5% abortion. And Democrats overall, 34% economy inflation, 8% abortion. All of this shows a huge disconnect between the leftist media and the leftist regime and the priorities of normal working people. Normal Americans are struggling every day to buy groceries and fill their gas tank, okay? The regime just doesn't care. Again, it's not that they don't get it. They get it. They just don't care. In fact, they've doubled down on policies causing your economic pain. There is no course correction because they don't care. Their eyes are on a bigger prize, transforming the economy, remaking the country. Meanwhile, the abortion issue has been baked into the cake for a long time, guys. Long time, okay? People, abortion has been on the scene since, what, 1973, Roe v. Wade, People have made their peace with it one way or the other. It's not like it's a brand new issue where people are struggling to figure out what they think about it. And the polling on this issue has been trending toward pro-life for quite a while. People kind of tag it to the advent of technology, ultrasounds, sonograms, and so on, that have turned people away from 100% abortion all the time to being increasingly pro-life. Because when you can see that baby, you can see that image, that is a human life right there. And more and more people believe it, and more and more people are supportive of increasing restrictions on abortion. So the, the left, rather than accepting this reality, the left is just like blowing it off. They're in denial about the whole thing, and they're in total meltdown over all of it. They cannot believe that abortion is not ranking higher. They can't believe it. Hannah Trudeau, 
senior political correspondent for The Hill, reacted to the news about this poll where abortion ranked way down the list by saying that, hey, oh, oh, abortion isn't part of the Democrats' ideology. She said, quote, for what it's worth, R.E. New York Times Siena data point on abortion, some progressives like Sanders and moderates Carville, David Axelrod, have warned against making the issue central to Democrats' closing midterm pitch. It's not really an ideological thing within the party. Huh? (laughs) This comes as news to everybody. Abortion has been a sacred article of faith for the Democrats and the left since the early 1970s. They've literally ordered their party around the issue of abortion for 50 years. MSNBC's Chris Hayes also downplayed these poll results, saying that only rising gas prices in the last month were to blame for the shift. He tweeted, quote, Honestly think the gas prices monocausal theory of politics is better than lots of the alternatives. Has inflation gotten worse in the last month? No. Has the economy gotten worse in the last month? Well, the stock market has, but overall, not really. Have gas prices risen in the last month? Yes. So, again, I mean, here's here's Chris Hayes using the word monocausal, <laughs> which some Democrats are like, you got to stop talking like this. Monocausal, rubric, all of this stuff with the Democrat voter base is like, huh? the hell are you talking about? I just need two, $2 a gallon gas. Can you give me that again? Well, we can, but you got to bring back Trump. So we see here that they've literally learned nothing and are in total denial. And the reason they're in total denial is, again, they're not stupid. They're just evil. And they have their eyes on a much bigger prize, which is re-engineering the economy. And honestly, I think, and I've said this before, I will say it again, I think they would rather have power than not. Obviously, they'd love to control the levers of power than not. But if they have to lose an election here or there, that is the price for the fundamental transformation of the nation. To them, the ultimate objective of communism in America is always worth it. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to the great David Sokol, one of the last non-woke business titans on Wall Street, about his new book about how to save America and how we get it back to where it needs to be. Also, we'll talk to him about the state of the U.S. economy and how we bring that back, where we are, where we're going, is it getting worse, what you need to do to prepare in case things get darker. So you're not going to want to miss a second of that, plus your emails, so sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, guys, now let's talk about where we are as a country and where we are going. 
with someone who has thought a lot about both questions. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show today, David Sokol. David is a great American success story and a business legend who is one of the few non-woke titans of Wall Street. David is the chairman and CEO of Teton Capital. He's also the chairman of the board of Atlas Corp and the former chairman and CEO of NetJets. He's also formerly with Berkshire Hathaway. He's got a brand new book out. It's fantastic. It's called America in Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. And David joins me now. Hi, David. Hi, Monica. Glad to be here. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here, David, and congratulations on this new book, which is a really brilliant defense of the American dream. Why did you decide to write this book and why now? I mean, you've had and continue to enjoy an incredibly successful business career, and yet you're really, in a way, given the context and environment in which we are in this country, you're really kind of putting it all out there as a true American patriot. So why do this book and why now? Well, you know, my grandparents were immigrants from Poland, and uh, my father, uh, who was born in America, um, emphasized constantly as when I was a young man, rural Nebraska, uh, lower income family, you know, the American dream and the fact that, you know, the reason his parents came here from Poland was that here you can do whatever you are willing to put your mind to and your energies towards and, uh, and I, I just grew up with that and, and didn't, didn't ever think anything was different. And, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, the, the discussion amongst Americans has become so polarized. And I, and I think the biggest element that we're missing, particularly when you start thinking about the woke nature of, of a lot of folks and this cancel culture, is that our founding fathers developed this extraordinary country based upon a constitution that was based absolutely fundamentally on two things, freedom and particularly freedom of speech. And so it seemed to me that we're, we're, we're losing that. And, and I recognize that a lot of schools, they don't teach uh, much about the founding of America and, and don't teach civics. And so Adam and I felt that it was just important to try and, and try to help people understand why America has become the extraordinary nation that it is, why it has sustained itself in, through this meritocracy and particularly through the self-healing nature of our country, con- con- consistently gotten better. And I think one of the reasons we're not getting better uh, the last 10 or 15 years is because we, we're st- we stopped speaking to each other. You know, America, the, the founding fathers developed this country around consensus. They wanted us to argue uh, about issues, uh, but only make big decisions based upon bringing the left and the right, if you will, to the middle. And, and we've lost that. And we've got to get back to it because that's the fundamental uh, nature of our, of our country. And it's what made America the most extraordinary place on the planet. Um, and, and so we just felt it was important. Well, David, you and I definitely have something um, in common here, and it's not being the chairman of uh, <laughs> Teton Capital. It's that we're both of Polish descent. So my great-grandparents came to the United States as the land of opportunity, and this country has been so brilliant and generous and good to my family through many generations. So I feel the same way you do about a deep love of this country and wanting to save it, wanting to rescue it before it's too late. Let me ask you this, David, because I spent a lot of time on this show talking about, and I and I have been doing this for years, talking about how the left is literally at war with everything that has made this country great, individual liberty, limited government, and economic freedom. They have been waging this war now for decades, and we are certainly at a tipping point. So I don't, uh, maybe this is where you and I might disagree. I don't think that there is any more coming together. I don't think there is a moderate path. I don't think there's any negotiating with terrorists, which I consider the other side, by and large, to be terrorists. They're working around the clock to destroy the country. So to me, when I look at the whole range of threats that this country faces right now, we've got a lot of external threats like the CCP out of China, like Iran marching toward a nuclear bomb, like uh, Russia and all the threats that Russia poses. To me, the greatest threat is coming from within. It's the weaponization of our own government against us. So as you take a look at that landscape, and you've written a very positive book here, 
what is the best and most effective way for us to fight back against this multi-pronged hydra-headed threat coming at us from inside the country? Well, first of all, Monica, I couldn't agree with you more that the threat is, is, is amongst us. Now, there are some external forces trying to, to help uh, you know, fan those flames, if you will. But you're absolutely correct. Um, and, and what's really interesting about, about the problems we have, and the reason I, on one hand, I'm optimistic, um, is that I, I think we're just starting to see the average American really get engaged in this, in this discussion. Uh, because it's, you know, a, a, the average American, and I understand this, spends an enormous amount of their time trying to take care of their family, uh, get, get work done, make enough money to, to get ahead in life, to prepare for their, their retirement, et cetera. And, and the one new phenomenon in our, in our political system is the willingness of our leaders to lie to us. Um, and, you know, the average American doesn't expect that their leaders lie to them. Oh, sure, politicians, you know, uh, maybe exaggerate a little bit here and there. But when, when the president of the United States goes on national television and says he has conquered inflation, it was zero this month. Uh, and that was just a month ago he said that. And it's absolutely a lie. Inflation was eight and a half percent year over year. Um, and Americans feel that every day. And these lies are now starting to be recognized for what they are. And what we have to do, I, the only area that you and I might disagree is I really do think that Americans will force us back into the middle uh, where we belong. Now, the danger is, and I, I view this almost treasonous from, from the leaders on the left, and particularly our president and the, and the president of the Senate, uh, uh, when they come out and, and literally call for um, people to do harm to the Supreme Court justices of this country, or that they try to delegitimize uh, the Supreme Court, uh, I, I view that as, as virtually treasonous because both of them took an oath of office to defend the Constitution of the United States. And part of the Constitution of the United States is an independent judiciary known as the Supreme Court of the United States and, and the courts that fall under it. And when, when you, as, as president of the Senate, uh, uh, you know, stood in front of the Supreme Court and literally requested violence against Supreme Court members. And as we know, uh, his wishes have been attempted to be carried out. And when the president of the United States delegitimizes the court and says, oh, we have to we have to pack it with enough people so that we control it. We're moving to an authoritarian government. That's what the president thinks he has. Uh, you know, I had a discussion with some some uh, students earlier this week um, uh, regarding tuition uh, forgiveness, uh, tuition debt forgiveness. And they said, gee, Mr. Sokol, you know, are you opposed to that? And I said, well, what I'm opposed to is that the president doesn't have the authority to do it. So I asked them a question where well, they said, well, we, we think it's a great idea. And I said, well, let me ask you this. What if the president come out and said, America needs to raise some more funds for, our, for, for, for spending and that he raised your interest rate 2%? Would that be okay? Um, and the comment was, well, he can't do that. We have a contract. And I said, you're exactly right. You have a contract. And the president of the United States does not have the authority from Congress to abrogate that contract. And he knows he doesn't. But he also knows that he's going to maybe pick up a few votes for his, his party in November and the court will overturn it in the future. That is not how you run America. Um, presidents and, and leaders should not be uh, announcing things and opportunities that they know aren't real and that they know defy our Constitution. But once, once now the American people are seeing inflation take off, they're seeing this horrendous so-called energy policy um, drive up their monthly bills in every way, whether it's driving a car or their home heating or electricity, I, I think the American people are going to show up in November and they're going to take back and, rec and, and explain to, to the folks on the left that we have a constitution and we expect you to follow it. We are not a monarchy. We're citizens of America, not subjects of America. Um, and so I'm optimistic that, that the American people uh, uh, will come to our defense. Now, the reality is the American people need to understand our Constitution, which was formed, that the citizens of this country manage, if you will, the country, requires participation. You can't just read headlines. You actually have to think about who you're voting for and why, and not just which party they are. 
You know, I love that you're so optimistic, David, because <laughs> I'm I am a natural optimist, but when I see the depth of corruption and rot and the extent of uh, the control that the radical left has gained over this country over many decades in terms of grabbing control over academia, uh, the news media, the culture, movies, television, music, and so on. This is deeply entrenched. And so this is going to be a long-term project to try to get the country back. But this is something that you write about in American perspective, where you lay out some real, some, some real strategies for taking this country back. And the good news, David, is that our side has been blind to this. And as you point out, we've been busy raising our families and going to school and starting businesses and, and running our lives that we haven't over many, many years really been focused on what the left's grand project is in, in what Obama called the fundamental transformation of the nation. But the good news is that now we are awake. We're not woke. We're awake. And we are certainly um, joining the battle now. The battle has been joined. So let's talk about a couple of these specific things that you write about in America in perspective and that you've been discussing as you've been talking about the book and and uh, elsewhere. So one of the things I think that's such a huge threat and you identify this as well is wokeism, which is really cultural Marxism. Right. So you talk a lot about the destructiveness of ESG in corporate America. Walk us through what is ESG and what it's doing to our economic and social fabric. Well, you know, ESG, environmental, social and governance, if you will, oversight of corporations, uh, which is a, a, a large subset of what you call wokeism. Um, you know, it, it's this bizarre thing. It is a set of ways that companies are supposed to be measured, um, but with no, no measurement devices. You know, there is no standard. Um, you know, they, they expect corporations to be measured on environmental standards that don't exist. Um, social standards that in some cases make no sense whatsoever and no real standard exists. And then, and then governance issues, let's say boards of directors and things of that nature, which are based upon identity politics not qualifications. I've been around a long time. I've had the pleasure of starting three businesses and taking them public uh, ultimately and, and being part of an enormous organization called The reality is corporations need to be governed by a number of things. One of them is they have to follow the laws of the land, not the hopeful laws of a few, but what the laws actually are. They need to play within those rules and they need to be governed by a board of directors that looks out for the shareholders. Um, and a board of directors needs to be comprised of individuals, frankly, what their, what their gender is, what their race is, what their religion is, or what their sexual orientation is. Those aren't qualifications, they're diversifications. And they're fine as long as the qualifications of the individual meet the criteria. And I'll give you an example. We have a, a secretary of transportation today who, if you submitted his resume to any engineering or construction company in the nation, they wouldn't even call him in for an interview. He has no background whatsoever. And I'm, I'm not being critical of him as a person, but he's been asked to serve in a role that, that he actually absolutely has no qualifications for, other than apparently the left feels that, that being gay uh, gives you qualifications to, to manage and oversee $2 trillion of, in, uh, of uh, infrastructure spending. Again, Mr. Boudier is, is perhaps a, a wonderfully nice person, but sexual orientation is a state of being, not a qualification. And, and yet we are handing over $2 trillion of our hard-earned tax dollars. And, and that's just silly. Well, the, the governance side of, of ESG is asking basically for corporations to do the same thing. You don't have to put people that are qualified on your board. Just make sure that you virtue signal and have a nice cross-section of people. And again, that's just the wrong way to govern, uh, to govern corporations. You know, corporations have to take care of their shareholders, but they also have to take care of their employees, their customers. They have to deliver what they promise. They've got to train their employees and they have to live within the uh, requirements of state, local and, and federal governments around the world, wherever they participate. That's what they have to do. And it takes a board of directors with diverse qualifications to help oversee the decision-making and planning, and particularly the selection of the CEO. 
that's just an example of this ESG activity is really a political movement, which is trying to get corporations and others to help the left drive the necessity of this virtue signaling. The reality about <clears throat> diversification, in my mind, and always has been, is we shouldn't discriminate. You solve racism by not discriminating against people, not by reverse racism. And, and that's what we need to, to, to recognize. You know, I, I give you a, a small element, uh, Monica, in, in, in the mid-80s, I had the opportunity to promote a young woman, incredibly talented young woman, to be CFO of our company. And I get a phone call about six months later from an organization that wants to give me an award for doing that. And I told them, I said, you know, you ought to give awards to people for doing things that they shouldn't be, you know, that are above and beyond what they do. This woman deserved this job, and there was no question about that. They said, well, yeah, but she's the first woman to be CFO of a company of that size. Well, that's great, and, but, but honor her, not me. Um, and that's where we need to get back to, is, is put people of, of tremendous qualifications in the role and, and do not discriminate against their race or religion or sexual orientation or gender. You know, it seems, David, that at least at least marginally that the tables are starting to turn because you've got BlackRock, which is obviously the biggest of them all leading the charge on this ESG nonsense, but BlackRock and, and other big firms um, indulging in this ESG, their brands are becoming so toxic because it's getting out into the world that that this is exactly what they are doing. And, and it's really ripping at the social and economic fabric of the country. So I guess that's a good sign that our pushback is working. Do you think that BlackRock and these other firms will be responsive to that public pressure to ease up on the ESG nightmare? Well, I hope so. You know, I sent a letter to, to Mr. Fink two years ago, signed by a number of other people along with me, saying that, and, and my argument was a little different than I didn't, didn't see the woke industry, if you will, as quite as effective or quite as strong as it is today or was. But what I really was concerned with two years ago was that are you properly disclosing to investors that the funds that you have that are perhaps eliminating purely for your views, your fossil views, um, eliminating companies like Chevron and Exxon from your portfolio, are you disclosing to people that that could have detrimental effects to their, to their retirement and other things? That has now come to pass. Um, if you look at it, if you take an S&P 500 fund and remove fossil companies from it, you had a bigger loss so far this year than you would have had uh, had those been left in it. And, and that wasn't being disclosed. Everything was all happy, happy that, oh, by doing this, you're going to make the place a, a better uh, a better world. And, uh, and, and no one was telling mom and pop that, that, yeah, but there's a downside potentially to it because Companies are doing legal things. It's not illegal to produce gasoline or natural gas in America. And, and so, you know, BlackRock was really pandering, unfortunately, I think, to the large woke pension fund managers in California and New York. They picked up massive amounts of pension funds as long as they agreed to press the woke agenda. Well, it's now, you know, they're now paying a price for that. They're trying to pretend that, oh, we, we weren't really doing that. Um, that's the problem with this virtue signaling and trying to use this kind of nonsense to market products and things of that nature is it feels good when the progressives all of a sudden support you. But if, if anybody's noticed, the one thing about progressives is they may love you when you vote yes on, on an issue today, but they'll hate you just as much tomorrow if you disagree on another topic. And, uh, and I think, I think uh, BlackRock's learning that lesson. Well, it is, I mean, it's just madness that these firms are putting this insane communist agenda ahead of profits and shareholder value. I mean, it's it's absolutely insane. So I want to thank you, David, for really staying on top of this and, and pushing back and leading the charge in many ways to pushing back on this nonsense. All right, David, please stand by. A lot more to get to with you, including where we are in this Biden economy. So please Sit tight. All right, guys, but first, I know how hard it can be to eat healthy every day and how easy it is to forget to eat the doctor recommended six cups of fruit and six cups of veggies every day, which is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens 
is awesome. It's powered with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. This is all what I need to stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast. It tastes delicious. And if you're like me, you'll have more energy. You'll feel healthier. Your skin will look healthier. And it can even help you lose weight. So join me and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your very first order and another 10% off when you subscribe. So visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA, fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. Okay, guys, we are back with David Sokol, Wall Street Titan, and the author of the new book, America in Perspective. Let's turn to your other big area of expertise, which is the U.S. economy. Despite what the Biden regime is telling us, we are in a recession now, aren't we? Uh, certainly seems to, to me. Um, and, I, and I fear that we're going to be going into a global recession, which, which could be very painful to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people are predicting that. And of course, the White House now is posturing that uh, that if the Republicans gain control of Congress, we're going to go into a recession. Where So that's, that's obviously the pre-spin, uh, but we are currently in one uh, for sure. And I think it's only going to get worse, as you say. Let's talk a little bit about inflation. Consumer prices running hot at well over 8%. Uh, inflation has been out of control now for a year and a half. And people like you and me and Larry Kudlow and others have been screaming when the regime was telling us that this was just transitory, it was temporary, it was a result of the economy reopening. Uh, We knew the truth and they were lying to our faces. So obviously they were doing that to ram through trillions of dollars in new and inflationary spending. Where do you see the inflation picture going from here? Well, inflation is a is a very sticky uh, subject, if you will, in the sense that inflation likes to stay around once it gets uh, it gets going. You know, I graduated in 1978, and and uh, my first mortgage on a house in 1980 was almost 16 percent. Um, so, so I, I've seen what it can do uh, to the uh, to the economy and individuals, um, and it takes a while. The, the The fallacy of all this is. You know, everyone knew, anyone that was paying attention knew that when you throw trillions of dollars just in the U.S. into our economy, not to build anything, not to build fixed assets and other things, but just passing money out to people, you're going to stoke inflation. Um, And that's exactly what happened. Uh, The money supply globally and particularly in the U.S. has been dramatically increased. Um, You know, uh, and then you take an example is after you've done trillions of dollars of just pure stimulus in, into people's wallets, you then pass a $2 trillion infrastructure bill. And I, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't disagree that we need to repair and replace some infrastructure, but not in the middle of the inflationary cycle that we're in. Um, if the president really cared about inflation, he would ask Secretary Buttigieg to, to slow down spending out of that infrastructure package for, for several years. Um, to, to let things calm down, to let the, the economies of the world um, reconnect to their base operations, their base supply and demand capabilities. But they're not doing that. You've got this bizarre situation where, on one hand, appropriately, the Federal Reserve, uh, who was behind the curve initially but is catching up quickly and is going to have to continue raising rates, they're trying to slow inflation down. But simultaneously, this administration passes another three quarters of a trillion dollars of spending just months ago, uh, which only will drive inflation. In fact, again, it goes back to my my comment about in my lifetime, presidents didn't lie to us. But naming that bill an inflation reduction bill, that is as flagrant a lie as anybody could tell. Yeah. Um, Nothing about that bill will reduce inflation. But you know what? They they believe, along with their their news cohorts, that, that if they just say something that isn't true, it will get repeated enough that maybe a bunch of Americans won't understand. Well, I, I think Americans understand. Unfortunately, I think inflation is going to be around for a while. And then I think because of the way this inflation was created, which is quite different than the late 70s, um, I think we're going we're to see a pretty uh, steep cliff happen. 
And uh, then we're going to need some real leadership to run this country. Yeah, you know, two really important points, uh, David, that you just raised, which is there is this inherent tension between the Fed trying to mop up all of this excess money sloshing around the system and the Democrats who keep spending and spending and spending. I mean, we cannot go on like this. Obviously, you cannot square that circle. And the second point that you just raised is, Inflation. And I think, you know, a lot of people remember the inflation of the late 70s and early 1980s, um, where President Reagan and Fed Chair Paul Volcker did what they had to do to try to gain control over galloping inflation. But this time around, it feels, I don't know, it just, it feels different. But the economic pain that is going to be required to dislodge this entrenched inflation is probably going to be very similar. Is there anything you can tell our listeners today to the American people about how to prepare for what's coming? Well, unfortunately, I think the only way you can prepare for it is obviously watch your budget and stay within your budget and make sure you've got, you've got a, a surplus set aside for, for difficult times. Um, and then more importantly, um, only elect leaders that are actually going to lead us. You know, we have three things that are going on today that are totally uh, contrary to, where, to where, we, where we should be going. The one positive is the Federal Reserve is finally raising interest rates to try and s- slow the economy. The two negatives are that the administration's pouring more capital into the markets um, and, and stoking inflation. And secondly, they are intentionally trying to create a supply-demand problem in the energy sector. Um, don't be misunderstood by, by where the progressives want to go. They would love to see $200 barrel of oil, just not before the election. And as you saw, President Biden trying to get the Saudi Arabians to not constrict supply until after November or late in November. You know, that's not leadership. That's purely trying to get people reelected. And so the American people, in addition to setting aside some additional capital to get through difficult times, they need to make sure they're actually paying attention to, to you know, electing leaders, people that will actually not mind if they don't get reelected as long as they're doing the right thing for our country. Yes, absolutely. And that's going to start on November 8th, uh, for sure, because I think... You know, to your point, it's one thing to be waging this ideological battle, which is what the left is doing to fundamentally transform the nation. But it's another thing if you're an average American just trying to go to work, trying to uh, get to school, trying to buy groceries uh, for your family, trying to fill up your tank with gas to get your kids to soccer practice, that the amount of money that you are now putting out there because of inflation and because of this administration's war on fossil fuels they get it. They get it. They have a lot less money in their household now, thousands of dollars less than when Donald Trump was president every single year because of high gas prices, high fuel and energy costs, and of course, inflation. So the American people get it because they're living this uh, economy on the ground every single day, David. And when you take a look at these polls, some more reliable than others, but it does look like the American people are really waking up to the truth because they're living it every day. I think that's right. I, you know, the energy issue in this CO2 battle um, is, is just an example you know, the, the, I, you know, I can afford to buy $10 gasoline. I've been very fortunate and lucky in my life. Um, but, but you know what, when I filled up my pickup truck earlier uh, or late last week and I look at it and I'm paying $3 and 90 cents a gallon, I've spent my whole life in the energy industry. The, the price of, of gasoline in America should be about $2 a gallon. And it would be about $2 a gallon if this administration didn't have a war on fossil fuels. Um, and, you know, if, even if we agree that climate change is something that, that really needs to be dealt with, there's no plan. The plan is merely make fossil fuels so expensive that people won't realize that their electricity bills are going up so rapidly um, and things of that nature. But there is, no, there is no glide slope to come off of fossil fuels and replace it in an intelligent process with other forms of energy. It's just we're going to bludgeon you with this political thing called climate change. And uh, and it's crazy. Um, but but the American people are seeing that. I, like I said, when, when I fill up my gas tank and I'm going, wow, $90, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I guarantee you, the average American uh, who, who hasn't been uh, as lucky as I have 
is is deciding what, where am I going to get that extra fifty dollars this week? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And uh, I, you know, uh, people are really struggling, and this administration and the Democrats in Congress simply don't care because they have their eyes on a much bigger prize, which is that fundamental transformation of the nation. And that's why they keep attacking the energy sector. It's not because they have some overriding concern about climate or the environment. They may have some top line concern about that, David. But what's actually driving them is that the energy sector is the biggest of them all. It's the biggest lever available to them to transform, re-engineer this economy, and that's why they keep attacking it. Are you, in our final moments here, David, are you uh, really surprised at how fast the Democrats have been able to torpedo a really thriving recovery that Donald Trump handed off to them? I, I am, but, but I think, you know, again, some of it, it comes back to the fact that you know, the American people just aren't used to being lied to by their leaders. Now, again, you know, they've, they've, they've certainly heard people maybe overstate things. And even President Trump had a tendency to do that from time to time. But but boldface lying to the people is not something they're used to. And so this happened because I think people took it seriously. They, they thought, wow, these leaders must must know something I don't know. They're now starting to recognize that no, they actually don't know something we don't know. They're just using climate change and, and all these other tools as a, as a way to garner power. They don't want to have the constitutional checks and balances that, that our Constitution provides. They want a bunch of elites to run this country. And that's just not who we are. Um, you know, frankly, even, even if they told me, David, you get to pick the 25 elites, I don't want anything to do with it. Because, you know, this country is so extraordinary because of the foundation that we have been built upon, which is a constitution that, we've, that forces us to the middle. And, and we have to keep that in place uh, because, frankly, we don't want the far right or the far left governing this country. We want the American people governing this country. Well, I, despite the bleak picture, David, I, I do love that you are optimistic for the future of this great country and that you're out there fighting for it every single day and using all of the platforms that uh, the Lord has blessed you with, including this brand new book. It's called America in Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. It really is an important and optimistic book, and Lord knows we need as much of that as possible. So, David, thank you so much for being here and for your leadership and your vision on bringing this country back. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, David. Okay, guys, time now for the midweek email bag. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Lawrence from Shrewsbury, Massachusetts writes a lovely note. Hi, Monica. As an admirer of yours for many years, I was thrilled to learn about your podcast, and I've been listening since the very first episode. President Reagan once said, if you agree with me about everything, then there is something wrong with you. Being a huge Reagan supporter, I must confess that I agree with you about just about everything. <laughs> Whenever I hear you speak with your characteristic grace eloquence, and intelligence, I can't help but think what a wonderful role model you are for young girls everywhere. I once had a niece that I hoped would follow your example, but she was a very unfortunate victim of poor role models and grew up to be a wayward soul. Sad as that is for me, I pray that you will continue to thrive in your career because there are still millions of young women out there and young men who could benefit from your wisdom, intellect, and class. I know I have. Thanks for all you do, and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much for the lovely email, Lawrence. I mean, you completely blew me away with this. I, I really, I, I'm, I'm humbled by your very kind words, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Very, very sweet of you. I'm also really happy, Lawrence, that you're listening to and loving this podcast so much and that you're part of the community that we're building here on the Monica Crowley podcast. You are a critical part of it, Lawrence. I'm also really sorry to hear about your niece, that she's not where she should be. But don't give up on her. Don't give up on any of the black sheeps in your family. 
because it's never too late for someone to turn their life and their views around. Look at Tulsi Gabbard, right? She is, she's almost there. She's left the Dems. She's almost to us just so. But also you see it with people like Elon Musk. You see it like people with Dave Rubin, who we've had on this show. You see people who are just about there. My friend Doug Schoen, lifelong Democrat, now just shaking his head at what his party has become. So there is always time. And as long as there's God, there's always hope. So Lawrence, just be there to support her and offer guidance wherever you can and pray for her. God listens always, always. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you right back here on Friday with a big interview with Dr. Joseph Ladapo, Florida Surgeon General, about COVID, what we got right, what we got wrong, the shots, the virus, and the big scandal, perhaps one of the greatest crimes against humanity that we have all lived through. Blockbuster interview coming right at you on Friday. So please join us then. I'm Monica Crowley. I will see you right back here on Friday. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.